Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Therapists in the Wild. Let's just jump right in today by getting into our homework review. Um, so our task was to practice check the facts in order to regulate our emotions. Listen to last week's episode for the full description of the skill. And just in case you missed it or need a review, here's a really quick one. You know, basically your thoughts affect your feelings, which affect your behaviors. So changing your thoughts or interpretations of an event can change how you feel. Yes, exactly. And even if you don't fully believe the alternative explanation or interpretation, allowing yourself to imagine the worst case scenario. So like we talked about last week, thinking about what's the threat, what's the catastrophe, and feeling what that actually feels like can paradoxically help you feel more in control and recognize that you actually might be able to handle more than you thought you could. Yeah, I like that way of thinking about it. Yeah, and actually that leads pretty well into my homework example. Mm, let's hear. Um, okay, so basically I've been having some trouble sleeping lately, just like mm -hmm. falling asleep. And so um, I noticed that when I was trying to fall asleep, I started to have thoughts like, I'm never going to fall asleep. It's going to take <laughs> me forever to fall asleep. I'm going to be classic. So yeah. Have you had those before? Yes. And I know a lot of people with trouble sleeping have those kind of specific thoughts. And I think I'm so glad you're talking about this right now because I think during this time, sleeplessness is something that a lot of people are experiencing. So let's, let's mm -hmm. hear it. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I don't typically struggle with this. So it was new for me, but it was a great situation to practice check the facts in because mm. um, then I started kind of generating some alternative interpretations. And I was like, okay, like maybe it's true that I won't fall asleep and I'll be awake the entire night and be completely exhausted tomorrow. Or it may be the case that I'll fall asleep after I watch this 30 minute show like I do every other night of the week. Yeah. Um, or maybe it'll take me two hours, but not six hours. You know, I just started generating other possibilities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I kind of like moved down in the steps and got to the point of like, what's the catastrophe? And I was just kind of like, worst case scenario, I'm exhausted tomorrow. And, you know, it's a little bit more difficult for me to function. Have you like, ever been really exhausted before and still, you know, managed to get through the day? Yes. And in fact, I remembered that sometimes when I'm really exhausted, I actually do like a better job at things than when I'm well rested. Because <laughs> I don't think as much. Me too, actually. That's so funny that you put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, what you're describing is a really big component of, you know, CBT for sleep problems. And I think that that makes so much sense given um, what we talked about with, you know, kind of checking the facts and coming up with some alternative possibilities so that you can feel a little calmer in this case and actually help you sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. It really helped me just kind of realize like, okay, whether I fall asleep or not, and regardless of how long it takes, it's really not that big of a deal. And of course I fell asleep after watching my show and it was fine. Um, but yeah. yeah, it was a, it was definitely like a good, a good example of when check the facts can be really helpful and hopefully something that could be helpful to a lot of our listeners. Since like you said, a lot of people are struggling with sleep issues right now. Yeah. I think that's such a perfect example for this skill and a time when, at least I know when I practice 
checking the facts when I'm having trouble sleeping, like I can physically feel my body calming down because mm-hmm. you're right. Worst case scenario, you're tired. Okay. So you're tired. You'll, you can, you'll deal with it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So for you this week to practice for homework, check the facts. Yeah. So my example, I'm glad that it happened this week because it's something that we didn't exactly touch on in the episode. We really talked about checking the facts as an internal process. So something where you sort of ask yourself, okay, what are alternative, you know, possibilities here? Um, Check the facts can also be used to just ask someone else if, you know, what you're thinking in your head is true or not. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of caveats to that, which we'll get to after my example. And I think it actually worked quite well in my example, which was that, I was doing a socially distanced visit in a park with a friend and I just sort of kept having this thought. um, I'm worried that my friend thinks that we're sitting too close to each other. I didn't think that. I worried though that my friend was feeling anxious. And so I just asked her, I said, Hey, are we, are you feeling comfortable or are we sitting too close to each other? Mm -hmm. And she said, no, not at all. I feel great. I, you know, are you comfortable? And then after that, wasn't anxious at all and enjoyed the rest of our time together. Wow. That's a, yeah, that's a, I'm glad that you brought this up because you're right that it's not something that we directly addressed last week, but it is a different application of the skill where you can check the facts by just asking the person if your interpretation fits the facts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Yes, and I think that is the key here, if your interpretation fits the facts. I think what we are not um, suggesting here is to ask for reassurance too much. And I mean, we could do a whole episode on reassurance seeking. We'll address it briefly. It basically means where, you know, asking the person and getting the answer from them, even if it's what you want to hear, still isn't really going to make you feel better. And I think we all kind of know when we ask for reassurance, sometimes it may make you feel better, but usually the anxiety is so deep that just hearing reassurance once isn't really going to make the fear go away. So that's mm-hmm. sort of the rule of thumb I, I use. And it's, it's usually something that kind of can't be answered. It can't ever be fully reassured. And, um, you know, we actually got this, this question from a listener and it was a great one about kind of reassurance seeking in relationships and, and what to do when you notice that you're reassurance seeking. And we would not use the skill of just asking the person and checking the facts that way. Instead, we would actually suggest that you use the skill that we're going to teach today, which is opposite action. So stay tuned for later in the episode. And I think the concept of reassurance seeking and kind of what to do instead will become more clear. Yes, absolutely. And we will circle back to that example later on when we talk about opposite action. Yeah. So before we move on to the content for this week, just a really quick plug. If you like these skills and you feel like they've been helping you, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And that's really just so that other people can find us and benefit from the skills too. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Um, our name is Therapist in the Wild, and our email address, if you want to reach out to us with questions or feedback, is therapistinthewild at gmail.com. So, today we're going to teach you the skill of opposite action, which is not only one of our favorite skills, but we tend to find that most of our clients love it too. And once they've practiced it, they also say that it's one of their favorite skills. So, mm-hmm. I'm really, really excited to teach this one today. 
Um, and before we teach you how to practice this skill, we're first gonna go into when to use it so that you know when it makes more sense to use this skill versus another skill. Yeah, that's a super important part of it is, is when. So short answer is you wanna use opposite action when your emotions or their intensity don't fit the facts and or it would not be effective to act on your emotion. Right. Um, you may actually not need to use this skill if you've already practiced steps one and two that we talked about, which are step one is labeling your emotion. So just kind of naming how you're feeling or step two is checking the facts, which is what we discussed last week. So sometimes that's really all we need to change our emotions, one or both of those. Mm -hmm. However, if you've kind of tried those two steps and they weren't effective at changing your emotion and you still want to change it, don't worry, we still got you. You have three more <laughs> options here. Um, so we have opposite action, which we'll be teaching today. And then there's also the skill of problem solving and the skill of mindfulness of current emotions, which we will get to in the coming weeks. Yes, yeah, thank you for that. So as you know from last week's episode, one of the functions of Check the Facts is to determine whether an emotion that you're feeling or the intensity with which you're feeling it actually fits the facts of the situation. So if you check the facts and find that your emotion or its intensity doesn't really fit, opposite action may be needed. So let's, let's go into an example here because that's always, I think, the best way to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's go with the example. Let's say that you feel panicked. You haven't heard back from your boyfriend. It's been five minutes and now you start to worry that maybe he's going to break up with you. Um, and let's say you go through check the facts and you determine that, no, that level of panic that you're experiencing actually doesn't fit the facts. Mm -hmm. Then based on what Liza is saying here, this would be a really good time for you to practice opposite action. Yeah. And, and also if you check the facts and you find that your emotion and its intensity actually does fit the facts, but would not be effective to act on, despite the fact that it fits the facts, opposite action might also be needed there. Exactly, so it all comes back to effectiveness. For example, let's say you just are about to start an important meeting for work and you just got into a fight with someone important right beforehand your anger or sadness may totally fit the facts. And at the same time, it would not be effective to act on, you know, your urge associated with that anger or sadness, like calling the person or crying or whatever it is, because, you know, you need to go into that meeting at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think with, with all of these examples, what we're saying is that what you want to think about is, does your emotion fit the facts? And would it be effective to act on this emotion? Mm -hmm. But sometimes we try to check the facts and we just can't figure out whether your emotion or its intensity does fit the facts. We just don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and so in this case, remember that you always can consult with wise mind. So you can always just go back to our wise mind episode, practice some of the exercises that we discussed, or even just to ask yourself, is this effective for me to act on? Or in other words, will acting on this emotion actually help me meet my goals or objectives in this situation or not? Yeah. And if the answer is no, um, time for opposite action. So now that we've talked about when to use the skill, let's get into teaching, teaching it to you today. Uh, so if you remember back to the different components of emotions from our episode a couple weeks ago, 
opposite action intervenes at the action urge component level, right? So if you remember, you know, there's the prompting event, then there's the interpretation of what happened. That's where check the facts comes in. And then there's this action urge that we have. And so opposite action intervenes at that level. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And if you've ever done exposure therapy, so if you've ever been in CBT treatment or cognitive behavioral therapy, um, this is essentially what the skill is doing. Yeah. So just to kind of give you some context, last week we taught you how to change your thoughts in order to change your feelings and behaviors. This week, what we're doing is we're teaching you how to change your behaviors first so that that will in turn change your thoughts and your feelings. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that we love this skill so much is because we love exposure therapy. Um, mm -hmm. It's, you know, it, we've, we have done it a lot in our work and just find it to be overall for a lot of people extremely effective. Absolutely. Yeah, it can be a really efficient way to change how you're feeling. Because I think sometimes what we find is that um, certain people who may be more prone to, to rumination or to thinking in a certain way, um, it can be difficult to try to change your thoughts. And you can yeah. kind of, like we talked about last week, get stuck in that cycle of coming up with alternative interpretations and it can become unhelpful sometimes. And so exposure therapy um, or what we're going to be talking about today, which is similar to that opposite action, can help you change your behavior to change your, your thoughts and your feelings indirectly almost. Exactly. Yeah. So the idea here is just to act and then hopefully your feelings and thoughts will change as a result. Just act first. Don't do, don't do too much thinking. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. So as a reminder, we're going to be talking a lot about action urges this episode. So let's just quickly define it or redefine it if we haven't before. Um, an action urge is the urge associated with a given emotion. It's kind of what your emotion mind is telling you to do when you're feeling an intense emotion. So if you're feeling angry, you might want to yell at someone. When you're feeling fearful, you might want to run away. If you're feeling shame, you might want to withdraw. And when you feel love, you might want to hug somebody. So all of these types of actions are what we are going to be referring to throughout the episode as action urges. Yeah. Yeah. And every emotion has one. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we know about emotions is that we can change them by acting opposite to the urge associated with that emotion. And I think just to use an example to show you this, if you think about being a little kid and you know, we've all been like a kid scared to go on a roller coaster or something like that. <laughs> I, I sure have been. <laughs> yeah, and so you kind of like, you feel all that fear and all that anticipation. You wanna escape, you wanna run away, but maybe you have an older sibling that forces you to get on the roller coaster with them anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, Liza and I both have older siblings. Mm -hmm. You may, and you know, if you end up getting on that roller coaster, you may experience that your fear pretty quickly turns into joy, excitement, exhilaration. And you can see how just acting opposite changes the way that you feel. And so- right. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like you're standing there saying, all right, I'm going to get on the roller coaster once I feel ready. Right. Because a lot of, a lot of us, especially as kids would be standing there all day, just waiting for our feeling to change. The idea is that, you know, when you have that push from your older sibling or whoever it is, and you just do it, your emotion kind of changes because of the thing that you did. Mm-hmm. 
which I think brings up a good point about this skill and what can be somewhat challenging about it is that it takes a little courage to do it. To, like it's one thing if your sibling or somebody forces you to do something that feels scarier that you don't want to do. Yeah. But when we use this skill, we do have to kind of fight against what our urges are. Yeah. And it works really, really well. Like this is an extremely effective skill. Um, and it can be difficult to kind of start, get started to actually use it in the first place. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. I think this ties back to what we said at the beginning about how clients tend to love this skill once they've practiced it a few times. <laughs> yeah. I think in the beginning, it tends to be a little unpopular because people will say, you know, are you crazy? You're going to make me do the thing that I'm most afraid of. And I think doing it and noticing how quickly feelings can change as a result is so rewarding that it, you know, over time kind of makes you love the skill. So please have faith in us and in what we're saying and in DBT. And I think over time, you know, over time, hopefully you'll see the power of this skill just like yeah, we have. For sure. So I guess now we can kind of quickly go through some common emotions that people experience. We'll talk through some of the action urges that are associated with those emotions. And then we'll give some examples of what opposite actions would be to those urges. Okay. Yeah, that's, that is a really helpful one. I think just really quickly before we do that, um, you know, there's no one action urge for every person with every emotion. So I think a really good example of that is how Molly and I have both talked about having different action urges to anger. So, you know, maybe when I feel anger, I might have the urge to yell, whereas Molly has mentioned that she might have the urge to kind of withdraw or shut down. That's a perfect example. Same emotion, totally different urge. And that's based on just the fact that we've had different lives and different, you know, different learning histories. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I also think, so you might kind of, once you start to understand your playbook better, you know, you might start to identify, okay, this is typically how I respond to a specific emotion, but also be open to the fact that maybe it might be context specific. So maybe when you're with a certain person, you respond to anger in a particular way. And then when you're with another person or in a different context, you might respond differently. So as we go through this, just kind of be flexible in thinking about what you're what your action urges are associated with each emotion and how that might change depending on the context and yeah. your learning history. Yeah, that's a great point. And just use your mindfulness skills to, to become aware of your action urges. I think when I first learned this, I was like, I don't know what my action urges are. And then once I you know, tried to slow down the moment when I was having a more intense emotion, I just used my observe and describe skills to try to really notice what they were, what, what those urges mm -hmm. were. Yeah, that's really the best, the best way to start to get to know these patterns about yourself is to practice mindfulness. Yeah. So I think there, one, of, one of our listeners um, that we referred to earlier in the episode had um, a great example of how what we're talking about manifests. So how you can have the same emotion and maybe have some different action urges associated with it. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the emotion of fear. Um, what might be some common action urges that are associated with fear? You know, so you might avoid, uh, mm -hmm. you might kind of run away, like in the cheetah chasing you example. Mm -hmm. um, so you might just kind of want to run in the other direction. And I think that's like, that's like what we typically think about when we think about fear, like that with the roller coaster example, you know, just avoiding escaping. That's usually what we want to do. Mm -hmm. um, However, fear might also make us want to 
compulsively ask for reassurance from somebody if we're maybe scared that they're going to abandon us or um, something like that we might want to we might have the urge to you know text them a lot or call them a lot um, ask them if they still love us if they still care about us mm -hmm. things like that yeah so or people kind of are just associated with fear people maybe like with health anxiety might google their symptoms you know a lot if they're feeling fear so yeah i like that it's kind of the more approaching urge where you're just kind of going at the problem by asking for reassurance mm -hmm. yeah and so let's talk about how the opposite actions might be different depending on what your action urge is yeah so, so yeah so I, I guess if your urge is to avoid so i think like public speaking is a great example that a lot of us have fears of um you know if you are afraid to get up in front of a crowd and speak that might be really understandable and it might fit the facts and probably wouldn't be so effective to run in the opposite direction if you have to give a you know a lecture or something so acting opposite would be approaching the situation getting up on that podium delivering your speech you know really fully and with a lot of presence Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if your action urge is to ask for reassurance, then maybe the opposite action might be to resist asking for reassurance and instead to focus on soothing yourself. Mm. Yeah, I like that a lot. How about anger now? Since I know that, you know, that has come up in a lot of listener questions. I know it's something that a lot of us, a lot of us deal with, especially right now. Yeah. And this is another one where, like we talked about, there, there can be different action urges associated with it. But I feel like the most common one that most people experience is some kind of urge to attack the other person, um, yell, um, defend yourself, mm -hmm. um, kind of like an aggressive action urge. Yeah. So if that's your action urge and either it doesn't fit the facts of the situation and or it wouldn't be effective likely to yell, scream, you know, punch someone. Um, the opposite of that would be to kind of gently avoid the person. And as Marsha Linehan says, even be a little kind. That would be mm -hmm. totally the opposite. And likely, you know, you may hear that and think, how could I ever do that? How could I ever be kind to someone who I'm really angry at? And if you think about this skill as helping to regulate your own emotions, not about the other person. You're not necessarily doing the other person any favors in this. It's just so you can feel a little calmer. Um, I think that sometimes that can help people think about using opposite action to anger. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that's a that's an important point. And you know, if the ang if the action urge that might be associated with anger is to withdraw, you know, like in my case, mm -hmm. the opposite action might actually be to act assertively and to use use your voice and speak up and say what you're thinking and say how you're feeling to the other person. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, so now that we've kind of talked about some common action urges and opposite actions that are associated with those action urges, let's now go through the steps so that you can learn how to practice opposite action for yourself. Feeling, you know, sad, lonely, depressed, disconnected. I think it is always relevant for people and especially right now, um, you know, during during the pandemic, this is this is the situation for a lot of people and so easy to just stay in bed all day and we're going to talk about you know what might be a more effective thing to do okay yeah i love this example i think it's i mean i can't think of anyone who couldn't relate to 
um, or couldn't find opposite action helpful for situations when you feel sad, lonely, disconnected, and kind of how to work through that. So, um, you know, as always, the first step is to identify and name the emotion that you want to change. Yeah. So I'm sad. Um, I'm lonely. Use your mindfulness skills to get there. I think, you know, just to reiterate, a lot easier said than done. I think, you know, especially in these times, it can be hard to admit to yourself and especially important because once you learn your playbook, you want to kind of have a predetermined set of actions to take when you feel sad so that being sad doesn't have to be, you know, something that you just can't get out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and using your mindfulness skills to figure out how you're feeling is, is, is truly the first step to practicing opposite action because like we just went through, you need to know what your emotion is to be able to identify what the action urge associated with it is. And then in order to identify the opposite action to that. So um, this is a really key step is that you accurately identify the emotion that you want to change. Yes. Okay. And then step two, just a reminder, checking the facts to determine whether that sadness, you know, and the intensity of the sadness fits the facts of the situation. (laughs) What do you think here, Molly? In... (laughs) in during the pandemic does it feel uh does it seem you know like it would fit the facts of the situation to feel sad lonely down isolated 100 percent. yeah yes yeah 100 percent. yeah i think we find that you know usually the emotions fit the facts like you're feeling that way for a reason um it just might not it just might be that the intensity with which you're feeling that emotion doesn't fit the facts you know I think the only time I can really think of that an emotion just does not at all in any way fit the facts would be when you're just completely misinterpreting a situation. Yeah. So like, like last week, what we talked about, if you're waving to a friend across the street and you think they hate you, but really they just didn't see you, um, then your emotion of feeling rejected doesn't actually fit the facts. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why check the facts is a helpful first step. I also think that in the example that we're using, I know I find it validating to check the facts here, you know, to say, well, of of course I'm feeling sad. It's, Mm -hmm. there's a global pandemic and I'm not seeing my friends and my loved ones, you know? Right. There's not something wrong with you for feeling that way. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. And then, so after we've kind of identified the emotion, checked the facts, Our next step is to identify and describe what your action urges are that are associated with that feeling. Yeah. So, you know, some common ones in this situation might be to stay in bed, to, you know, not (laughs) reach out to anyone, to just kind of further isolate. Mm -hmm. What, What else? What else? Even like, I was just thinking of some that might be even more subtle than that. Like, um, I know that when I'm on Zoom calls lately, when I have a day full of Zoom calls um, and I'm feeling kind of disconnected from people because I haven't seen people in real life in a while, um, I can kind of just, you know, talk a lot less, Mm. be doing other things on my computer, be less engaged. Yeah. Um, So even when you are actually interacting with people, not being fully present or participating. Mm -hmm. That's such a great example. Yeah. So you would have the urge to just kind of not be fully there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just, you know, even an urge, you know, I think a lot of people experience when you're feeling down or depressed, 
taking a really long time to respond to texts, mm -hmm. um, not listening to your voicemails for days, even though you know somebody called you, Yep. not yep. responding to emails, things like that. Mm -hmm. And you can see how this spirals, you know, how when you don't respond to friends, then maybe they stop reaching out. And, you know, a lot of this, while very, very understandable, um, maybe kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so that's why opposite action can be so helpful in just sort of getting out of that vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so we got to identify these action urges and whatever, whatever it is for you. Mm -hmm. And after that, we want to ask wise mind, is acting on this emotion effective in this situation that I'm in right now? Right. So I think that's kind of what we were just talking about. You know, yes, it may be understandable. It may fit the facts that I'm feeling this way. And, you know, again, it can be hard to access wise mind when you're feeling so down. We, we do want to validate that. And hopefully, you know, if you're really in your wise mind and you're thinking about, what's important to you in life and kind of if you've ever been depressed in the past, kind of what's gotten you out of it in the past, maybe. Um, thinking about, you know, if I stay in this spiral, things are only going to get worse. Hopefully will make you realize that likely it's not so effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in this example, the whole, like we said, you're feeling disconnected from other people, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling isolated. So in that case, would it be effective to pull away from people, even right. though that might be the urge you're having? Right. Exactly. You're just kind of digging yourself deeper. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So once we identify, so in this case, let's say it's not effective to act on those urges to withdraw and pull away from people. So then we want to identify the opposite actions to our action urges. Okay, so let's just kind of brainstorm. Let's just, let's just go wild here. What would, be, <laughs> what would be some opposite actions to the urge to just, you know, stay in bed, further withdraw, not answer texts, not be fully engaged, things like that? You could initiate a Zoom happy hour. Mm-hmm. You could get out of bed and do 50 jumping jacks. You could take your dogs for a walk or even a run. Mm, you could bake cookies. You could do a yoga video. Mm, you could call a friend and ask to chat. You could read a book. <laughs> you okay. could do this. <laughs> I think we've made our point. <laughs> This was pretty fun, though. I think it, it kind of it kind of improved my mood to just think about uh, think about fun, active things to do. Yeah, and and so once you identify those opposite actions, the next step is really to act opposite all the way, and we'll talk about what that means in a moment. But act opposite all the way to your action urges. Yeah, and I think the the point here is that kind of half-assing it isn't really going to work, unfortunately, even though we wish it would. You know, think about like if you're someone who experiences some social anxiety and you're at a party and, you know, you bring yourself to the party, you get yourself in the door, and then you kind of stand in the corner and don't talk to anyone, right? You're, mm -hmm. you're probably not going to feel less, much less fearful or anxious because, you're not really acting all the way opposite. You're not fully participating. Remember back to the participate scale of mindfulness, you know, you're not fully participating in the moment. It's kind of half-assing it. Yeah. And I wonder if one of the ways 
that one of the reasons why it doesn't work so well when you're half-assing it is because the skill and exposure therapy in general partially works because you, when you do something that you are scared to do or don't want to do, and you do it anyway, oftentimes you learn something that you didn't actually know before. So for example, with the party example, you might go in thinking, oh, nobody's going to talk to me. I'm going to have a terrible time. And then if you actually did fully throw yourself in and participate, you might learn, oh, actually, like I did have a good conversation with somebody and they laughed at my joke. Yeah. Um, You know, or actually I, I did have fun, you know, dancing or whatever it is. But if you don't fully throw yourself in and participate, you wouldn't actually have the opportunity to have that experience that would disconfirm some of your beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, if you think about that as it applies to our example, you know, let's say you get yourself out of bed, you call your friend, and instead of being fully engaged in the conversation, you are, you know, checking your phone, you check like texting while you're talking, mm-hmm. you're, you know, doing other things in the house, you're just kind of answering yes or no to all their questions. Like you're not giving yourself the experience to know that calling a friend might make you feel less sad. You're just like not really allowing yourself that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really, really important to fully, fully practice this skill. But one thing I will say is that sometimes it's hard to go from zero to a hundred. Like it's really hard. Like let's say you're laying in your bed and you're like, okay, I know what would be effective for me right now to do would be to take a run. But even standing up feels like it would take a hundred percent of your effort. Yeah. So in that case, I would say start, like break it down into the tiniest, tiniest steps. So if you're laying in bed, then the first step you want to do to practice opposite action would be to sit up in bed mm-hmm. and then to stand up next to your bed, then to walk to your closet, to put on your sneakers, walk yeah. to your door, et cetera, et cetera. Um, doing that all with, self-compassion because this is really really hard to practice the skill especially when you're feeling like that and also like Liza was saying before we really when we say we want to do it all the way what that means in part too is that we want to do this with an attitude of willingness yes yes exactly yeah that's that's such an important point and you know sometimes even while you're breaking it down into the tiniest steps because you know trying to do it all at once would just feel impossible. An attitude you can, you can adopt if this is helpful and don't if it's not, because I know not everyone finds this helpful, but you know, you can kind of think about it as fake it, fake it till you make it, right? Kind of, you don't have to, you don't have to be lying in your bed thinking, I'm going to go for a run and it's going to be the best thing in the world. Instead, you can kind of get up and say, all right, I'm just going to pretend to be enjoying this. Yeah. And then maybe after a while, hopefully you'll start to actually enjoy it because then you'll be running, you'll get those endorphins, you know, all that. I have a great fake it till you make it example that I just thought of actually. Ooh, please. Um, when I was younger, I, I really don't like small talk. Um, <laughs> and I never have. I feel like a lot of therapists don't. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great profession for people who hate small talk because mm-hmm. you just cut right through that. Uh-huh, um, exactly. But yeah, I've always hated it. And I was at a family gathering with my grandpa when I was a lot when I was really young. And I was telling him, like, oh, like I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to mm-hmm. have to do this small talk. And he was like, just 
pretend that you're interested in every single person here. Just go up to someone and say like, Oh, what do you do for a living? You know, like, where do you live? Oh, that's so fascinating. (laughs) Do you have any pets? Like, wow. And just almost, almost as if you're like acting Uh that you're so curious and so interested in the other person. And I did that and it actually worked. Like I found myself genuinely becoming interested in these people once I kind of faked it long enough. I love that. I love that story. That's, that's so nice. And yeah, it, it's almost like you're playing a little game with yourself, which I know when I'm in situations that are uncomfortable or, you know, that I don't want to be like sometimes playing a game with myself and just kind of knowing that I'm, I'm doing something that no one else knows about is kind of fun. And, you know, it, it can actually work. For sure. And Liza and I do this with each other. Sometimes we, we can be opposite action buddies and, you mm-hmm. know, one of us is, is doing that. We'll text each other about it. And if you have a friend that knows this skill too, they can, you can help encourage each other to, to practice. Yes. I love that idea. I think this is, this is one of these skills that over time becomes so rewarding that even just saying to yourself like, Ooh, I just did opposite action or saying, or, or me texting Molly and saying, Molly, you'll be so proud of me. You know, I, I did opposite action in this situation and it worked so well, I think is a great, is a great way to learn the skill and really incorporate it into your life and, and to regulate your emotions. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so we really want to just like, okay, so, you know, you, you act opposite all the way, like we talked about. And if it doesn't fully work, like don't panic, just Mm -hmm. keep doing just keep repeating opposite action until your emotion does change. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of the example with your grandpa. I bet, you know, the first person that you went up to and asked about their life, it, you probably didn't feel that much better. But then mm-hmm. hopefully by the 10th or 11th person, you know, maybe maybe your mood started to change. Yeah, it takes a little while for those initial willful thoughts and feelings to fade away before you can really throw yourself in and, and participate fully. Okay, so those were all the steps for this example. We're gonna go through one more example in part to kind of solidify all the steps so you can you know, take this home and practice. And because you know, we think this example is so, is so relevant, opposite action would be really effective to apply to the concept of white fragility that we referenced a few weeks ago and that we said we'd carry over. Um, So just as a reminder, Robin DiAngelo coined the term white fragility in 2011 to describe the defensiveness that many white people exhibit when their ideas about race and racism are challenged, and particularly when they are told or reminded that they are implicated themselves in white supremacy. Mm -hmm. So if you think about a white person who doesn't want to see themselves as racist, but maybe says or does something that is race, racially insensitive towards a black person or a person of color. And maybe when they realize what they've done, let's say that feelings of intense shame show up yeah. and then they, or they have an urge to withdraw or to defend themselves and get angry rather than apologize sincerely and try to learn from that experience. Yeah, so this is really a great example of when emotions do fit the facts. So shame would be justified in this situation. Um, And depending on what was said, really, really intense shame may also be justified. And it would not be effective to act on the urge to withdraw, you know, run away, or to yell and defend yourself. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly, exactly. And so let's talk through what somebody could do instead if they do find themselves in this situation. Okay, so step one, identify and name the emotion you want to change. Um, remember here, you may first need to identify your primary versus your secondary emotion, you know, because as we talked about a few weeks ago, it may feel like anger, but really it's shame. Mm -hmm. Um, so, okay, let's say, let's say it's shame as it, as it likely will be in this situation. Okay. So then we want to check the facts, um, which we already discussed, you know, in this case, let's say the emotion and let's say the intensity of the emotion is justified because the the person did hurt the other person that they were talking to. Yep. Okay. So that brings us to step three, identify and describe your action urges. We already, again, briefly discussed this. It might be to withdraw and stop talking, um, you know, to avoid all conversations about race in the future. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important, that's a really important one is that like the urge might be to avoid um, the the conversation in the moment and sometimes these action urges can carry over into future situations too yes absolutely mm-hmm. you know the urge might also be to defend yell or defend yourself you know there are lots of there are lots of potential action urges here that I think we can see in the next step might not be so effective so let's get to step mm-hmm. four So yeah, step four is consulting with your wise mind. Is acting on this emotion effective in this situation? And so, you know, here, if if our goal is to be a better ally, to dismantle racism, or even just to maintain a relationship with a person that you offended because they're your friend or someone that you care about, it obviously would not be effective to act on any of the urges that Liza just described. Yeah, exactly. So that brings us to... Step five, which is to identify opposite actions to those urges. Um, so that might be, you know, just put pretty plainly, apologize. Mm-hmm. Sincerely apologize. Very sincerely. Thank the person, you know, for bringing to your attention that, that what you said was problematic. Even, some, even things with body language. So oftentimes when we experience shame, we'll have the urge to look away from somebody or turn your body away. So the opposite action might be to actually maintain eye contact despite the fact that you're feeling shame, which can be really, really difficult. Um, but that's an important part too to, in order to practice it all the way like we were talking about with our previous example. Yes, and, and that's really where mindfulness skills come in to really stay present in the moment, you know, continue to participate in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there may be other ways that we can continue to do this all the way. So, you know, having an open, willing body posture. So not crossing your arms and legs, not turning away from the other person. Mm-hmm. them instead mm-hmm. um yeah and it's like you know it's not enough to just kind of say sorry under your breath right it's it's being really genuine um in in the apology that that someone you know that someone got hurt okay so this was an example of a time when the emotion or the emotional intensity actually did fit the facts and it would be ineffective to act on the action urge so we just we wanted to share an example of that situation as well Yes, exactly. And it's important to note that, you know, sometimes intense emotions fit the facts and would be effective to act on. Um, You know, we we actually got a really interesting listener question about anger and how 
a lot of times our society tells us that it's never effective to act on anger. It's only going to have harmful consequences. And that's not true. I think we're really seeing recently and throughout history that anger can be an extremely motivating force um, for social change, you know? So thinking about anger being extremely justified, you know, the intensity too being extremely justified related to racial injustice in the world, um, that might lead people, for example, to protest and to take Mm -hmm. action that is really effective in creating change. And, you know, that's an example of how you know, just thinking, oh, it's never effective to act on my anger. Sometimes it's not only effective, necessary. Mm-hmm. And that's really why we spent so much time at the beginning of the episode talking through when you want to use opposite action, because sometimes you really don't want to use opposite action. Sometimes it really is effective to act on your emotion and not to act opposite to your emotion. And so you you're kind of doing these preliminary steps to try to determine whether it would be effective or not to act on is is, is a really important component of, of this skill. Yeah, and I think that leads us really nicely into the skill for, that we'll teach next week, um, which is what to do when the emotion or the emotional intensity does fit the facts and acting on that urge would be effective, and that's gonna be the skill of problem solving. So instead of going through coaching today, since we've already gone through two examples and we've kind of gone in depth with all the different steps of opposite action, today Liza and I are gonna talk about a time in our life recently when we've used opposite action. Yeah, and what we are excited about with this example is that it kind of ties in how a step of opposite action can be identifying your values, you know, and mm-hmm. it's not just what would be effective in this situation. It's also what's important to me in life. What do I care about? And, you know, would acting opposite to the thing, the emotion that's holding me back from doing this thing, um, be more in line with my values. So in other words, does doing this thing that I'm afraid to do you know, does it fit with what's important to me in life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's kind of like the bigger picture conversation that we can have about this skill. And so, you know, Liza and I have never made a podcast before. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea was actually suggested to me by a client of mine. Yeah. Um, and we just kind of decided, like, let's do it. You know, we we see the value in we obviously love these skills. We want to share them. We want to disseminate them to as many people as possible. Um, we had so many reasons for wanting to, to do this podcast and we've never made a podcast before. There was a lot of uncertainty. We didn't know how it was going to go teaching the skills in this kind of a format. Um, so there's obviously fear associated with doing a project like this as well. Yeah. I think anytime you know, you start something new and you don't have a blueprint for how it's going to go. And um, there's, as Molly said, uncertainty and fear and uncertainty are pretty closely linked. And, you know, I think sometimes in fear, you can come up with all the reasons not to do something. You can Mm -hmm. talk yourself out of it because you're in emotion mind and listening to that fear. Um, And so I think it was really helpful that we had each other to talk about this with. As we mentioned earlier, we are often each other's opposite action buddies. Um, Mm -hmm. So this was really something we talked about. Yeah. 
it's kind of like when you feel fear, the path of least resistance is to avoid, yes. you know, it's, it's always easier when you feel fear to not do the thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think as, as anyone who's experienced fear or anxiety in their life knows when we avoid too many things in life, it can make our lives smaller mm-hmm. and it can pull us a- away from the things that are actually really important in life. Yeah. And I remember a conversation that we had early on before we released the podcast, you know, we, we talked about some of the reasons not to do it and just related to not knowing how it was going to turn out, not knowing how it would go to teach these skills in podcast form, because, you know, we're used to teaching them in, in more of an in-person or virtual group format. Um, And then I remember we talked about not just the reasons to do it, which are in line with our values of, you know, increasing access to skills and talking about skills and how we apply them in our own lives and all of those things. I remember we also talked about the reasons why it would be upsetting if we didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember we had a conversation about the fact that we were like, we are like, we're only going to live once. And this is something that we really want to do in our life. Yeah. Um, so even though there is that fear, is this, do we really want to, you know, back away from something that could be really great and could help a lot of people Yeah. just because we have, just because we're experiencing a certain emotion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so for us, you know, the process of opposite action, you know, I guess it was pretty straightforward. It just looked like making the podcast and releasing <laughs> it. And of course that took a lot of steps, you know, and it took a lot of moments where it would have been easier to just drop the whole thing. And so, you know, having each other to constantly remind, remind the other one of the reasons for doing this in the first place, um, of course, was really helpful. And I think it's an example of, you know, sometimes opposite action doesn't just need to happen once. It needs to happen over and over and over again, you know? Mm-hmm. Another reason we bring up this example is because, you know, once you're more familiar with the skill, you don't need to go through every single step. I think for us, it's become so second nature that we just kind of know to say to each other, okay, I'm feeling a little afraid. What would the opposite action be here? And even go further than that and say, you know what, starting this podcast and releasing it to the world, that would be opposite action. And therefore we want to do it. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, once you kind of start to practice this skill more regularly, you'll see that it can really be infused into your life in a lot of different and kind of unexpected ways. So, you know, kind of keep practicing. If it's difficult at first, don't give up. Um, This is a really, really great skill that can change your life and help you live a life that's really more consistent with your, your values and what's important to you and help you build a more meaningful and fulfilling life. So kind of quickly to recap, today we talked about how to use opposite action and when to use opposite action. Um, And opposite action is essentially the idea that if you act all the way opposite to your action urge, your feelings will change. Yeah. So you don't need to, you know, wait to feel better before you act. It's actually the reverse. Act first and then feel better. Um, And so Molly and I are going to practice this this week. I certainly have my work cut out for me and... (laughs) Um, I'm excited to hear what we, what we both come back with and we hope you will practice along with us. Yes. And so until next week, stay skillful, everyone.